Well, hey, everybody. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of our preaching team. And before we get into God's word today, I just want to acknowledge that Governor Ducey made a big announcement this week. It's going to take longer to open the state than some people had initially thought. And uh, whether that is good news for you or disappointing news for you, just know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying for us to have endurance, to have patience, uh, to be the kind of people that model the love of Christ in the midst of uh, all of this uncertainty that we're facing. So I'm praying for you. The other thing I want you to know is that we have plans that we've begun to develop about what it would look like to begin to hold some in-person experiences once the time comes for that. The time is not right for that yet, uh, but we do have plans so that when those phases begin uh, to, to kick in, we'll be ready for it. So be sure to go to our website and get the information about that. If you can, subscribe to our email list. That way you'll be all the way up to date on the things that happen as uh, those changes uh, take place in the coming weeks and months. And uh, I'm praying for you. In the meantime, let's turn to the scriptures. So we're going to turn our attention to the Lord's Prayer for this final week of this series, the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. And remember, as we read, we're reading God's word. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. As we finish the Lord's Prayer today, we're talking about this last part of this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. How do you do with temptation? I wish temptation was as easy for me as it seems to have been when it comes to my third daughter, Mary. You see, with our first two daughters, Abby and Caitlin, they had pacifiers when they were babies, and it was very difficult for them to give up the pacifiers. We had to cut the pacifiers. We had to tell lies about who we were sending the pacifier to. Um, and, and don't judge me. You've, you've done that, too, if you had a kid with pacifiers, because it's just hard to make them give it up. Well, Mary, our third kid, she was born with a pacifier called her thumb. From a very early age, she would suck her thumb. And, and at the beginning, we were like, this is amazing. I don't have to run in there like an idiot and just keep putting the pacifier in her mouth every time it falls out. She would just pacify herself, and it was great. And then as she started getting older, we went, uh-oh, there's a problem here. She's never going to quit this. How's she going to quit this? Well, when she got to be, I think, about four, she uh, had a dentist appointment. And we talked to the dentist about it. And he said, hey, I'll talk to her. And the dentist talked to her. And he said, hey, Mary, listen, now that you're becoming a big girl, you can't suck your thumb anymore. It will be very bad for your teeth. And you can't do it. And you know what? She stopped. She just stopped. And I remember a few days later, I was out on a walk with her. I was pushing her in the stroller. And she said, Daddy, I really want to put my thumb in my mouth right now, but I know I'm not supposed to. And I said, yeah, honey, you're, you're really not supposed to. What do you think you're going to do? And she said, I, I guess I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> and I thought, holy cow, what if fighting temptation was that easy for me? And for all of us, I mean, this is just an amazing thing to think, well, I, I'm not supposed to do that, so I just won't do that. And temptation usually isn't quite that way. Usually we know what to do, but we feel tempted to do it anyway, which is why Jesus told us, listen, part of regular prayer is not just praying for God's kingdom and not just praying for God's glory and not just praying for your daily needs like bread or for forgiveness, but one of the other things you need to pray for is you need to pray that you'd be spared from temptation, that you'd be delivered from evil. 
See, Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted. He knew it big time. If you go back just a couple of chapters into Matthew chapter four, what you find is that the spirit of God led Jesus out into the wilderness before his ministry was really launched in order to be tempted, to be tested, to be tried by the devil. He passed that test. He stood firm against those temptations, but it was a grueling experience. And so I just imagine Jesus coming to this prayer and saying, hey, I don't want you to have to experience what I had to experience. I don't want you to have to be faced with this kind of temptation. Pray for strength to resist it. A lot of times when people endure something grueling, they want to make sure everyone else has to also, right? If you've ever talked to somebody or read accounts of, of Navy SEALs who went through BUDS training or, or Hell Week, there's no chance that they would look at a new potential Navy SEAL recruit and say, oh, they should lighten up BUDS. They should lighten up Hell Week. No way. They go, man, this is how bad it was for me. It needs to be that bad for you. Jesus didn't have that approach. He said, this was so bad and I had to endure so much that I don't want you to have to endure it. But here's the thing, you're gonna endure temptation. And I want you to pray so that you can fight against it. So here's what we're gonna look at today in this message as we reflect on this verse. We're gonna look at what we need to know in order to understand this prayer. We're gonna look at why we need to pray it. And then I wanna kind of finish, just kind of sharing my heart to yours as we finish this series, kind of reflecting on what I think is potentially the, the greatest evil that we need to be concerned about right now in this particular moment, the places where we might feel tempted. So that's where we'll finish. But, but let's begin with this. What do you need to know in order to understand this prayer? Well, there's some really helpful stuff to understand what temptation is and how it works. Uh, Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in the book of James, James, who actually was the brother of Jesus, seems to be reflecting on a lot of the things that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the whole section of scripture in the book of Matthew that, that this prayer is found in. And so, so it's helpful actually to go to James and see what James said about this prayer. And when you get to James, you actually see some things. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along with this. We'll put the verses on the screen as well. But in James chapter one, verse 12, we see the first thing that we need to know if we're gonna fight temptation, which is that temptation isn't sin. Temptation isn't sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. A lot of times people feel guilty because they think that just being tempted is a sin, but being tempted is not a sin. Sinning is a sin. In fact, the word for temptation that Jesus prays is also used in chapter one, verse 12 of the book of James. I'm gonna turn there since I don't have the screen to look at. I'll turn over there real fast. The book of James, where is that? Oh, it's back here. Found it, got it, all right. And here's what it says in James chapter 1, verse 12. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. That word trial, do you know this? This is the same Greek word that's used in the Lord's Prayer for temptation. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. See, temptation isn't sin. Temptation is just a trial. Temptation is a test. You don't have to repent for feeling tempted, but you just have to know temptation is a test. It reveals what's really there. Here's the second thing you need to understand in order to be able to fight temptation and understand this prayer is that God himself doesn't tempt, but he does allow temptation. We might 
be kind of confused when we read Jesus say, lead us not into temptation, thinking, well, wait, does God, does God tempt us? Does God, the one that kind of is, is putting us through these tests? And, and the reality is God himself doesn't tempt us, but God does allow us to be tested. And so James in the next verse, in chapter one, verse 13 of James says this, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So to be sure, God does allow trials. God does allow tests to come, and, and those reveal the nature of our faith. But it's not like God is ever saying, ooh, here's a test. I hope he blows it. I hope he fails. Let's see what's, what, what he's made of. That, that's not God's heart at all. Temptation itself doesn't come from God. The reality is that temptation leads to sin. This is the third thing. Temptation leads to sin when it finds an ally in our desire. So temptation, the strength of it isn't from God and the strength of it isn't even itself. Temptation is powerful when it finds an ally in us. We sin because we want to. That's the point of verse 14. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. In other words, when you are lured into sin, when you are tempted, you can't go, oh, well, God, you made me do it. No, 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 no. You were lured, you were enticed by your own desire. The occasion of the temptation met something that was already in your heart and it produced sin. We sin because we want to. We can't blame God. We can't blame the devil. We can't blame our circumstances. The circumstances of the trial meet what's in us, and we sin because we want to. Here's how Pastor John Piper says it. He says this, The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make us happier. No one sins out of a sense of duty. Right? No one goes, oh, I have to do this. No, we sin because we want to. Our desires are off. We think things will make us happy that aren't going to make us happy in the long run. And the temptation comes, it meets our desires, and we sin. Where does that lead us? Why, why is this so important to Jesus? Well, there's a lot at stake. Here's the fourth thing we need to know to understand this prayer is that sin and evil results in death. Sin and evil results in death, right? Jesus says, uh, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. The, the goal of evil, the goal of the evil one is sin and sin leads to death. Look at what he says. In James 1.15, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin does not lead where it promises. See, uh, temptation comes and says, oh, you'll have the good life. Oh, this will make you happy. Oh, this will make you complete. Oh, if you just say that, then you'll feel powerful. You'll feel in control. You'll feel better. And the reality is sin doesn't deliver. It leads to death. Satan, what he likes to do, this evil one who tempts us, he likes to present the bait, but hide the hook, right? He's a good fisherman, right? If you just show the fish the hook, the fish will never bite it. But if you put on that horrible death-inducing hook something that looks juicy and that looks colorful and that looks satisfying and that looks delicious, that fish will bite it all day long. And we're the same. He, he presents the bait, he hides the hook. 
There's an illustration that I think of of this. This is kind of how it seems like uh, Satan likes to do it. S- Satan likes to do it sort of like a jail's nail. Remember jail's nail. This is from the book of Judges. If you haven't read Judges, Judges is an incredibly fascinating book. Uh, teenage boys especially would like it because it's filled with all sorts of interesting violence like this scene that we're going to read here in just a moment. Here's what it says. It says, in jail, jail is a, is a woman, an Israelite woman. She came out to meet Sisera. Sisera was a commander of a, of a foreign army. Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him up with a rug. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. Right? This, is, this is kind of what temptation does. Temptation says, hey, come in. Oh, come inside. I've, I've got something for you. This will be comfortable. This will be nice. And you say, oh yeah, give me a little bit to drink. I'm thirsty. So she doesn't just give water. It says she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. What did Jael do? But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And then I love the obviousness of this next sentence. So he died. Now get this. This is what temptation's like. Temptation says, hey, come turn in here. I've got a blanket. I've got a tall glass of milk. I'll protect you. And then when you fall asleep, temptation and sin drives a tent peg through your head and it leads to death. This is why we have to pray day after day continually. God, deliver us from evil. God, protect us from temptation. I like how Eugene Peterson re kind of paraphrases this part of the Lord's Prayer. Here's how he says it. He says, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. We're prone to temptation. We're prone to sin. And sin leads us to death. Now, why did Jesus want us to keep praying this? Why why was this important to Jesus? Well, not only did Jesus experience temptation himself, but Jesus knows some things about us and Jesus wants some things for us. And so here's why Jesus prays for this. Well, first of all, Jesus knows we are far weaker than we think. Jesus knows that we're far weaker than we think. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he'd ask some of them, hey, would you come pray with me? Would you come uh, watch and and seek uh, God on my behalf as I face this temptation that's coming? And it said this, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You've heard that phrase before, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knew and Jesus knows how weak we are. We are weak. I don't know about you and how this whole quarantine situation has been for you, but I've been talking to a lot of people who are saying, oh my gosh, I just eat 
all the time. Right? I'm constantly snacking, I'm constantly bored, so I go to the pantry and I go to the fridge, and uh, that's led to one of my favorite memes. Right? There's been all sorts of amazing memes throughout this whole season. Here's my favorite one. Uh, someone sent this and, and, and posted this. I thought this was great. So after this quarantine, will the producers of my 600-pound life just find me, or do I call them, or how will this work? Right? I, just, I just love that idea that, oh my gosh, we're all just, we're eating so much and we're blowing up, and the reason is because we're weak. We know we shouldn't snack when we're bored. We know we shouldn't eat to numb our frustration with whatever, but the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Jesus knows we're weaker than we think. Here's the second thing, and this gets even more to the heart of Jesus, about why Jesus would want us to pray to fight temptation, to pray to fight evil, is because Jesus knows that holiness is the blessed life. If sin leads to death, then holiness leads to life. Obedience leads to life. Jesus has a vision for a better life than we have. Jesus doesn't just offer the good life. He can come through with it. And so if you want a picture of the good life, there's no better place to look than in the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 5. This is the way Jesus began this Sermon on the Mount of which the Lord's Prayer is a part. In the beginning of this he gives us a picture of the good life. Here's what he says. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the good life, the poor in spirit. Those who know that they don't have it within themselves, those who know that their thing's not working, those who are humble and contrite and tremble at his word, that's the happy life, to be humble. Jesus says, here's the happy life. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning over the loss in the world, in touch with the pain of people around, lamenting because things are not the way that they should be. Mourning over their own sin, over their own weakness, over their own interest in, in looking at created things instead of the creator to find life. Blessed are those who mourn. He says this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are the gentle and the kind. That's who Jesus was. He said that we should come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he would give us rest because he's gentle and lowly in heart. That's what he's talking about. Blessed are the meek. That's the good life. What's the good life? Well, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Not those who hunger and thirst for success, not those who hunger and thirst for money, not those who hunger and thirst for fame, not those who hunger and thirst to be able to have all their freedom, but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the blessed life. That's the good life. He continues, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The good life is being merciful, not always trying to get even, not trying to get vengeance, but forgiving one another as we've been forgiven. What's the good life? Jesus continues. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who want what God wants, those who love what God loves, those who are pure in heart. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Just like Jesus makes peace between God, who's holy and righteous and just, and humanity, who's at war against him, Jesus makes peace between those groups. We're called to be peacemakers. That's the good life. 
Here's the good life. This wouldn't make any of our lists, but here's what Jesus says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the good life. When you are righteous, when you do what God loves, when you stand for the things God stands for, and you're persecuted for it, you're blessed. Similar thought in the next verse. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, this is the good life. What the devil likes to do, what temptation likes to do, is offer an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. But, but what Jesus describes is a good life, a blessed life. This is the happy life. And let me just ask you, do these words describe you? Do they describe what you're seeking? They did, do they describe what you think is the blessed life? Poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, persecuted for righteousness' sake. Does that reflect your heart? Or do you think the good life is about your comfort and about your freedom and about your rights and about you getting to do what you want to do? so that you could have life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. And you've somehow mixed up Jesus' vision for a good life with the American dream. Now praise God for life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. Praise God that there is so much freedom and liberty in this country, but that is not our hope. We are Christians first and Americans second. And as Christian Americans, we have a vision for a good life that's defined like Jesus. And so that's what we pursue. And any kind of temptation, any kind of evil gets in the way of that sort of life. It tempts us to think that something else is bigger and something else is better. And Jesus doesn't want that for us. He knows that's not the happy life, and he knows that's not the life that gives him praise. He'll say a couple verses later in chapter 5, verse 16, that what he wants is for our light to shine. Jesus wants our light to shine. That's the next reason he prays for this, is because he wants our light to shine. He says this, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. You're a city on a hill. Let your light shine. What's radiating from your life right now? This season we're in, it's been way longer than a lot of us thought it would be and definitely longer than a lot of us hoped it would be. But this season, what it is, it's a crucible. Right, a crucible is that, it's that kind of dish. You remember this maybe from high school chemistry, right? And, and there's some sort of compound in the crucible and you crank up the heat right through the Bunsen burner and it heats it up. And, and what's in the crucible is what comes out. This season's a crucible. It's testing us, it's trying us, it's revealing what's inside. What's inside? Is it light? Is it Poverty of spirit, is it, is it all those things that Jesus said? Is it meekness? Is it hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Is it merciful? Is it pure and hard? Is, is that what's in there? I think that's what been one of the hardest things for me is realizing so many things that, 
that I thought weren't important to me are too important to me. Jesus wants us to have a blessed life because he wants our light to shine. And here's the last reason I think Jesus wants us to pray this is because Jesus died to deliver us. He died to deliver us. Jesus died on the cross to rescue us from the power of sin, to rescue us from the penalty of sin. He died on the cross and he's coming back again to someday rescue us from the presence of sin. He's going to make all things new. And he died for us so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but so that we'd live for him who for our sake died and was raised. Jesus had to go to the cross to overcome evil. And he doesn't want us to just cavalierly give in to temptation. He had to die for those sins. So he tells us, pray, pray daily, pray continually. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. God, keep us from ourselves and from the devil. And I told you I wanted to close uh, this sermon really kind of sharing my heart with uh, just an area that I feel especially concerned about for our church family, right? There's lots of temptations that each of us individually is facing, but one of the things that I think we're all potentially facing in this next season is a temptation to be disunified, is a temptation to bite and to devour each other over our various opinions about what should happen next, about the economy, about church, about what families should and shouldn't do and what kind of precautions should and shouldn't be taken. And all of that feels important, but it also feels like an area where the enemy would seek to divide us, seek to tear us apart. And so here's something that, that I was just thinking about. I was thinking, you know what? I mean, this feels like a lifetime ago, but holy cow. We began the year at Redemption Gateway. And do you remember what we talked about? Some of you were there for this. The first Sunday of the year, we said, you know what? We need to do a sermon about loving one another through the 2020 election, through the 2020 election. And I just kind of laugh to myself now because I think, oh my gosh, that's gonna be easy compared to this. But I went back and I looked at my notes on loving one another through the 2020 election. And I thought, this is incredible how closely the points that I made in that sermon about loving one another through the 2020 election, how closely they connect to if I were to do a sermon on loving one another through the 2020 pandemic. I don't want God. I, let me start that over. I want God to protect us from this disunity. I don't want Satan to be able to tempt us to, to bite and to tear one another apart. So let me just read to you these points from that sermon. We said this, we said, we will be marked by composure, curiosity, and compassion. We were talking about the election, but that has to be now. We need to be composed through this time. We need to be curious through this time. We need to be compassionate through this time. Are you composed or are you freaking out? Are you curious or have you had it all figured out and you've read all the articles and you know all the answers? Are you compassionate? Are you compassionate toward the people who are afraid? Are you compassionate toward the people who are having to make decisions? Are you composed and curious and compassionate in this 2020 pandemic? Here's the next thing we said. We said we will recognize that reopening decisions are complicated, not straightforward, right? We were talking about voting back then, but now we're talking about reopening. These decisions are complicated, right? What I find is the people with the greatest clarity on what should happen usually have no responsibility over other people. And the people who have responsibility, the people who have to actually 
make decisions and call shots, they feel the weight of how complicated decisions are. This is why we need to pray for one another. This is why we need to have compassion for one another. This is why we have to pray for leaders because our reopening decisions aren't easy. They're very complicated for a lot of people. Here's the third thing we said in that sermon. We said that we will assume that there are Christians we want to love and non-Christians we want to reach who think differently from us and could be hurt by us. You may have very strong feelings about how we should reopen or about how we should stay closed, about the kinds of protocols everyone should do or shouldn't do. You may think that all of this is really stupid. You may think that all of this is really important. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters that you love think differently than you. And people that you want to reach think differently than you. And that's not to say that someone's not right and someone's not wrong. It's also not to say that maybe everybody's wrong. But, but, but do you have a heart that says, I, I want to love people. I want to I, I protect the relationships more than I want to be right. So here's another thing we said in that sermon. We said we will prioritize our influence over our opinions. We're not gonna give up our influence with people in order to just spout off opinions. Usually opinions about which we don't have any authority. So I just wanna plead with you as the family of Redemption Gateway that in this season, as things are tumultuous and all of the, all of the wow, isn't this kind of interesting, all of the glimmer, all of any kind of shine that there was, if there was any at all, any kind of the novelty of, oh, wow, what is life under quarantine? That's all over. And we're sick of it. And we're fed up. And we want things to change. And we're afraid about the future. And here's the thing. That's the perfect opportunity for the enemy to divide us. So we need to pray that we would be delivered from that temptation, that we would be delivered from that evil. So I hope you'll be praying for that. I know I'll be praying for that. That's a burden that I feel for us as a church. We need to stay united so that our light shines and that we give God glory. Well, as we close this series, I'm gonna ask Seth Trout. He's one of our other teaching pastors. I'm gonna ask him to come and to pray for us, to offer a kind of pastoral prayer as we close this series as Jesus has taught us to pray. Thanks, Luke. Let's, let's pray together. God, we ask, and we ask, and even in asking, we're admitting our inability to change what we want to change, which includes ourselves, which includes others, which includes our world. But I ask that we would come to you as Father, and in doing so, we would recognize that we are admitting that we are children, that we are needy, that we lack perspective, that we lack vision, that we think we know more than we know, but yet ultimately, hopefully that will drive us towards a curiosity that we would ask our dad what is going on. God, let us be quick to pray, let us be quick to ask, and let us in the midst of that be given the gift of absolute humility, of knowing that we know far less than we think we know. God, I pray for myself and I pray for us that as we even pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, that we would be far more eager to evangelize and tell people about the empty tomb of Jesus than to evangelize and tell people about our coronavirus opinions. 
God, I pray that we'd be excited about the fact that your spirit is working in history. Even as you lead us through darkness, God, it is a fact and it is a reality that you are at work. And God, help us see the reality of your kingdom coming to earth bit by bit, chunk by chunk, piece by piece, and that we would be people who have eyes to see your spirit at work in us and in others and among us as a people. God, I ask that we would be a a people who recognize the fact that you give us our daily bread, that you're the one who provides for our needs, that all capacity to gather and earn wealth comes directly from you, and that would actually enable us to be faithful participants who simultaneously live in this tension knowing that you are the one who brings the harvest, that you are the man who makes fruit grow, and you are the one who gives us what we need. And I pray that that will lead us into a deep sense of gratitude. And so, God, in this season where it's so tempting to be cynical, so tempting to disregard, so tempting to minimize, I pray that we would be a needy and a grateful people. But, God, even as we look towards uh, looking outward, that this, this temptation to turn inward, to become self-obsessed, to become um, trapped up in our own minds and our own thinking, that you would instel, instead propel us outward, that being grateful, we would recognize that we are blessed to be a blessing, that we would have eyes to see the needs of our friends and family and our neighbors who we don't even know, that we would look to be conduits of blessing to the world. God, this temptation to turn inward, help us understand that holiness has everything to do with your mission here on earth, that we'd be a people absolutely devoted to you and not partially devoted to you, that we would be absolutely committed to your vision for justice, your vision for rightness, and not just some other vision of the good life, but help us be people who are quick to repent because we know that you are gracious, that we don't have to defend ourselves, we don't have to pretend that we are fine, we don't have to pretend and minimize our own sin, but we can actually run to the throne of grace with confidence. God, this is, this is, the, the, this is the tension we live in, coming to you, knowing full well that we are on the one hand absolutely unqualified because of our sinfulness, but on the other hand, that we can come to you with confidence because of your graciousness. God, let us be a people quick to pray, quick to repent. And God, as we even just end this prayer, that you would lead us not into, tempta- not into temptation, but you would deliver us from evil. We, we even pray that recognizing how weak we are in the face of temptation. God, we don't want to be people who sin. Lead us away from sinful tendencies, lead us away from sinful patterns, and lead us into um, your vision for our life, that we would be a people committed to your way, committed to love, and committed to the vision that you've set out for us. God, you are our Father, you are my Father, and we so often don't even know what to pray for as we ought, but we trust that you translate the words that come out of our blobbering mouths, and you, uh, by your Spirit, understand our hearts. And so, God, we can come to you in confidence. Let us, as Redemption Gateway, um, put this prayer in our hearts and let us be a people who pray and work and, and live that your kingdom come and your will be done and that we can be your hands and feet in the midst of our day-to-day lives. And so, God, we're grateful for how you're patient with us. We're grateful for how you are uh, persistent in us. And, God, ultimately, 
we are grateful that we get to know you and that we get to walk with you and that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not alone, but with our Father who knows exactly what's going on, who is not confused, who is not surprised, and who is ultimately in control of all of history. And so, Father, we're grateful for you and grateful we get to be with you in the midst of this time. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.